Hello, and welcome back to Your Life Transformed, the journey to becoming a better you, where today our topic is the biggest loser competition. Where are they now? And this came up because as I'm renewing my obesity medicine boards, I had to read an article um, about the biggest loser competition. So some of this content will be coming from that article. And that just to kind of give you guys a reference, like I always do, it's coming out of the Obesity Journal, uh, volume 24, number eight, and the issue is August 2016. And this article is called Six Years After the Biggest Loser Competition. And it talks about some of the metabolic adaptations, which we'll kind of go into, but I want to, because most people I think are familiar with The Biggest Loser, and honestly, I was just kind of perusing um, today, preparing for this podcast, and I didn't even know it's still going. Like, I thought it was over, but I guess they stopped it and maybe restarted it. Um, So the way it works, for those who don't know about The Biggest Loser, essentially, they have contestants on a show and they almost make it like a competition, They have a personal trainer, say, on the red team and a personal trainer on a blue team. And they have these contestants on the show and then the teams compete to essentially lose the most weight um, during each session whenever they have their weigh-ins. The problem with The Biggest Loser, some of the stuff, it's a real show and real people, but the situations are not realistic. They bring people on the show and that's all they do. Their whole job is to do this contest, so to speak, and to lose weight. So they don't have to worry about getting up and going to work. They don't have to worry about kids, husbands, kind of the riffraff of life. Their job is to work out multiple times a day and cook healthy foods, learn about nutrition. Now, I do think it the takeaway from that is a lot of education on the way things should be, like meal prepping and what types of foods are good and some of the nutrition content and the types of exercises that they can do. And I think it helps with uh, confidence in the sense that these people walk away knowing that they can do this. They know they can do these exercises, it's possible. The problem for most people is really not if it's possible or not, right? Like. We all can exercise, we all can cook to a certain degree. The, the question that I see a lot of my patients is time. Like, I don't have time to do some of this stuff. How do I make time? And you know, meal prepping is kind of the, the terminology to use, but I'm a real person too, and I understand that's not always possible. So The Biggest Loser had these contestants on the show And they had all the time in the world because their job during this time was to become healthier, work out, and focus on health and nutrition. So again, I think it's a lot of great concepts, but I don't know how reproducible it is in the real world. And to kind of go over um, what happened during these transitions, that's what we're going to kind of focus on today. But I wanted to give you kind of a background, like they're on the show for several months and because that's the only thing they have to focus on, they lose a significant amount of weight. Most of them do. 
that is not helpful when they go home and they kind of have real life um, because people typically can't maintain that lifestyle that they had on The Biggest Loser. So this article I read is looking at kind of some of the earlier shows. So this is 2020. You know, the show started in 2004, I think was which when I first watched it. Um, and this particular article is reviewing the people that were in the 2009 competition. So several years after the show had been on air and it's looking at the metabolic adaptation. Metabolic adaptation, and I didn't word it this way, but essentially it's what happens to your metabolism when you gain or lose weight, which we've talked about in another podcast, um, but that's essentially what metabolic adaptation is. You actually do have changes in your metabolism when you institute certain things, right? We talked about skeletal muscle can increase your um, metabolic Great. That was on the last show, and we kind of went over the reasons why. Um, losing weight, believe it or not, actually can slow it down. And I think we've talked about that too briefly. Um, and then there's there's so many different things that can affect it. Um, gaining weight actually increases it because the body's like, I need to burn this. Um, so there's different things. So this particular... Um, podcast will kind of focus on those contestants that were on The Biggest Loser, what happened to them now. And I thought it was very interesting as I was reading through it. And I thought it would be important to kind of discuss it because it's actually really relatable to a lot of people that I see in my office or in any weight loss clinic. Like you guys aren't on The Biggest Loser, but you all have a common goal. You want to lose weight, you want to keep it off. And this kind of dives into some of the things that's going on during that process. So to kind of go over um, some basics of The Biggest Loser. So there was 16 people on that particular episode and there was 14 people that responded to this article and they looked at the baseline like before the competition. And you know, they take all those measurements. They get the metabolic rate, they get the body composition, et cetera, et cetera. They looked at it at the end of the competition, and the competition is 30 weeks. So if you believe it or not, that I mean, that's not that long, um, but it's 30 weeks. And then they looked at those same measurements six years after the competition, and they're kind of comparing. So what happened? So to kind of give you a baseline, um, <clears throat> at the time of the competition, the average age was about 35. The average weight in kilograms was 149. And kilograms, essentially, you need to multiply by 2.2. So essentially, 307 pounds was the average. Some had more, some had less. Um, the average BMI was 49.5. And as we talked about in one of the previous episodes, 50, a BMI of 50 is considered super morbidly obese. And that's what qualifies people for the duodenal switch. So these um, contestants were about at a BMI of 50. Their percent body fat was 50. So that's almost half of their body weight. Their fat mass, meaning how much did the fat weigh, was 73 kilograms. Um, So again, multiply that. So about 150 pounds of fat mass. Um, 
The free fat mass, meaning the muscle, was about 75, which is great. I mean, people don't realize when you have a high weight, your body requires a lot to carry that weight. Um, And I always tell my patients when they're doing surgery or when they're doing weight loss, I want you to hold on to that muscle mass. That's what's going to help you. And we talked about the the pros of skeletal muscle mass. Um, And so when you're carrying around 300 pounds or more or 200 or whatever it is, depending on your height, your body produces a lot of muscle just to be able to hold you up. And so when you lose that weight, I always like to focus on the fat mass, the fat, not necessarily the muscle mass, but believe it or not, when we do body comps and stuff in the office, a lot of people actually lose that muscle mass. And, and the biggest reason they lose that is because they're not working out, honestly. Anyways, um, so their measured metabolic rate was about 2,600. So that means on any given day, they would intake 2,600 calories. And if you into, if they did that, they would maintain. So that's how many calories their body burned, 2,600. This is not including exercise. This is resting metabolic rate. Their predicted metabolic rate, based, and this is all baseline, was 2,500. So they're about 100 calories off um, on where they should be. Um, their total energy expender meaning how much calories did they burn per day was 3,800. And again, a lot of that, believe it or not, the heavier you are, you will actually burn more calories because it takes more effort for the, to, to do things in your body. It takes more effort to pump your heart. It takes more effort for your legs to move, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the physical activity that they did at baseline was only, um, six kilocalories a day which they did kind of minimal exercise and most of that was just kind of the going to work getting out their car kind of the baseline walking around that we do um also the other thing um so that was kind of the baseline at the end of the competition um I'll go over those numbers with you. So this is 30 weeks of competition. And at the end of it, a lot of these lost approximately 90. uh, They were down to 90 kilograms, which is 180. So if we start out around 305, they're now about 180, 185. Uh, So they lost about 120 pounds. Um, their new BMI went from 49.5 or 50 because I'm rounding up to 30. So they dropped several categories. So instead of super, super morbidly obese, they became obese. And again, some of them were less than that. Anything less than 30 is overweight. So the bulk of the patients fell under that. And don't get discouraged by these categories. I mean, it really depends on where you're starting from. I mean, if you're starting from 400 pounds, getting to even 300 is a win, you know? It's healthier than you were, you're, you're less weight than you were, um, your body's functioning better. So even though you may not be normal BMI and you still may be a higher BMI category, that's still a win. Um, their percent body fat after the competition went down from 49 to 28%. 
Their fat mass, meaning, you know, the weight of the fat in their body was 73 and it went down to 26. So that is huge. So these people in the competition lost predominant fat mass. And again, that's because they were doing a lot of workouts. I mean, you guys, if you ever watched this show, they had them lifting logs, lift, you know, pushing tires. I mean, they had them doing like a lot of really intense workouts. And that's why they were able to maintain a lot of their muscle mass, which talking about muscle mass, they went from 75 to 64. And that's actually really good considering the amount of weight that they lost. So they still did lose some muscle mass. And like I said, with weight loss, almost everybody does. The goal is to maintain as much of that as you can. So the fact that you've lost you know, 15 or so pounds of muscle mass and you lost 120 pounds total, the bulk of that was going to be in your fat mass. So that's actually pretty good. Their metabolic rate, however, the measured metabolic rate dropped to essentially 1996. So now because they were smaller, they were only supposed to take in a little less than 2000 calories a day which is significantly less than the 2,600 calories when they had the higher weight. The predicted metabolic rate was 2,272. So their measured metabolic rate was actually lower, slower, slower and lower, however you want to look at it, than what was predicted um, after they lost all that weight. And then their total energy expenditure was 3,000. So They just burned less, right? But that's not necessarily uncommon. When you lose the weight, you ultimately burn less. Um, The interesting thing was, so that was at baseline, and then that was after the competition. So then what happens after the competition? Well, they go home, and essentially they have to live a normal life. And although, you know, you're taught the appropriate things, I mean, it's just very difficult when you lose that much weight in that period of time to be able to maintain that. And so believe it or not, and I'm sure some of you may not be surprised, six years later, many of them has gained a lot of the weight back. Not all of it, but um, a lot of the weight was regained. And I don't want to say this to discourage. I just want to kind of point out things that are realistic and unrealistic when it Whenever you lose that amount of weight medically um, in that short period of time, that's not the healthy way to do it. I've, I've often talked to my patients about this, like starving yourself, dropping that much weight in a shorter period of time is not healthy. If you are on a medical weight loss program, and we'll get to the surgical portion shortly, but if you are on a medical weight loss program, your average weight should be like honestly one to two pounds a week and most people that's too slow for them um but you're looking at weight loss over a year honestly if not a little bit more um 120 pounds in five or six months is great but again look at the environment that they were in um, which is not realistic to most people and when patients come in and they're upset that they only lost 10 pounds i'm like well that's normal or less in a month I mean, doing these big old 15, 20 pounds of weights in a month when you're not a surgical patient not, is not necessarily her, um, helpful because then your body is trying to adjust 
And it essentially, it decreases your energy expenditure, which is also your metabolism. It slows it down so that you don't lose too much weight. I mean, your body's just trying to help you. And then all those hormones that we talked about in previous episodes kind of kick in. And the hormone that makes you hungry goes up. And the hormone that says you're satisfied satisfied goes down. And that's just what happens when you're not when you're losing weight too quick. So that's never necessarily recommended and that's difficult to maintain that way because your body feels like it's starving. So essentially six years later, um, the bulk of them had gained their weight. But what I thought was actually interesting is that um, many of them actually maintain their physical activity. So let's go over the numbers. So at this point, they're 40 in their 40s mid-40s, 41, 42, six years after. Um, Their weight, their beginning weight was 149. Their weight after 30 weeks was 90. And this is in kilograms, so if it's easier, I can convert them. So let's say 305, 180, and 131 kilograms after six years, which is approximately 270, let's say, pounds. So ultimately, they went from 305 to 270. So they've kept off 30, 35 pounds. This is average, right? So some of them gained all their weight back. Other ones maintained more weight, but this is average. Their BMI currently is about 44. So they went from 49.5, almost 50 to 30. And now the average BMI is now 44. The percent body fat is 44.7. It went from 49.3 to 28 at the end of 30 weeks, and now it's at 44.7. The um, fat mass, which went way down to 26, is back up to 61. And the reason I think that category actually did very well is because a lot of them are still exercising, which we'll talk about in a minute. The muscle mass um, went from 75 to 64, back up to 70, and muscle can make you gain weight, right? So that's at least six pounds of their weight is attributed to muscle mass. Um, The thing that I thought was interesting, though, is what they're calling the metabolic adaptation. Their measured metabolism went even lower than it was when they lost all that weight. So they went from 2,600 to just under 2,000 to 1,900. The problem with this is, and I know you guys can get discouraged because my heart was kind of breaking when I read this, which is why I thought it was important to talk about it, is that in this um, particular study, and they're predicted, by the way, based on their weight, was 2,400. So 500 calories more was their predicted than what they actually can take in. And let's kind of review metabolism. So anything over the measured is gonna be a weight gain for you. So if you're eating, if your metabolism says you should be eating 1,200 calories a day, and you're eating 16, those 400 calories are just adding on weight because your metabolism cannot use the other 400 calories unless you work out and burn it off. And so essentially, the resting metabolism is what does your body use with you doing nothing? You can increase that with exercise, right? Like I went to the gym this morning. 
burn 300 calories. So it's almost like I added 300 calories on to whatever my resting metabolism is. And so that's how you can add um, or increase it because you can burn calories. But just what your body regularly does um, is resting. So I thought that was this was interesting and heartbreaking in the sense that despite them regaining most of the weight back, the metabolism did not go back up to what they were before. It's one of these things that, well, at least if I'm going to regain the weight, can like my metabolism go back up so I can kind of intake more calories? But no, the metabolism actually went down um, more than when they were at their lowest weight. So they actually can only take in less calories than they did when they were at their lowest weight after the program. And so you can see how being in this situation is difficult for anybody to be able to maintain that weight loss when your metabolism is lower than it was not only when you entered the race, but after you lost all that weight, despite you gaining the weight back. And so the metabolism didn't change, if anything, and in in this study, it went lower. So one of the conclusions that they found in this study is that the the people of The Biggest Loser, their metabolic adaptation continues to slowly decline after weight loss, like continually. So the concern is that at year seven, at year eight, this resting metabolism number may be even lower because they continue to slow their metabolism down. Why? No one knows. They've regained some of their muscle mass back. And honestly, the physical activity, according to this follow-up, is at the same level as it was at the end of their competition. So I'm sure their food choices have changed, right? And then life came in, but these people were still working out. And that's potentially one of the reasons they didn't gain all the weight back. But so those people who are struggling with your weight, kind of this yo-yo dieting, which is not healthy, and we talked about that, um, losing a a large amount of weight in a short amount of time is not good. And again, according to the study, you just will slowly drop your metabolism over time. I believe cyclic weight loss and weight gain does the same thing, which is why I tell my patients, let's just stop make a decision either we can do it with surgery or find a weight that you'll be able to maintain and not have these up and downs because that will ultimately just continue to decrease your metabolism and then you're fighting your metabolism and you don't want to do that there's enough stuff against us um, trying to maintain that you don't want to have to also try to fight your metabolism that's now in the toilet I mean, there's fast food, there's life, there's rush, 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 unfortunately, in this society. And metabolism is one thing that you don't need to be fighting. The other thing that I thought was interesting is um, they also tested a lot of their blood work. Um, But, you know, at baseline, at the end of the competition, and then at six years, they're, and I'll just list them, the blood sugar, we call it glucose, at before the competition was 95, after the competition was 70, at six years follow-up, it was 105, 
average. These are averages, so they're actually higher. The insulin levels, which my patients know, I don't like high insulin levels. When the insulin are, levels are high, you become insulin resistant. We've talked about this in some of the other podcasts. Your body does not um, store sugar like it should, and most patients can become diabetic. So your insulin levels before were 10, end of competition, 3.9, which is normal. By the way, that's great. After six years, it's 12. So some of these numbers, I was shocked, actually got worse after the competition. The triglycerides didn't go back up. So there were 128 before, which is kind of still with a normal range. They were 57 at the end of the competition and 93 at six years. Uh, The cholesterol numbers didn't really change that much. Uh, And actually, it looks like they bumped up at the end of the competition a little bit. And that's probably because they were doing high-fat diets. So I'll just give them to you. LDL was 105. At the end of the competition, it was 126. At six years, it was 108. And honestly, it was probably because they were doing mostly high-fat diets, more like a keto. When you do keto, your numbers can bump up like that. That's why you really, not to say you shouldn't, if it works for you, great, but you need to have someone monitoring your cholesterol levels because that can become a problem on keto diets. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is leptin hormone. This is the one that inhibits hunger. was very high at baseline. It was 41. So your body does try to help help you, you know? So it's saying, hey, you don't need any more food. We have enough fat and stuff to burn don't eat anymore. This is what it was saying at baseline before they started the competition. At the end of 30 weeks, it was 2.56. So these people were probably starving. And then at six years follow-up, it was um, 27. So about average. So it just kind of goes to show um, some of the metabolic changes that our body makes when we lose that amount of weight. And like I said, that leptin was super low at the end of their 30 weeks, probably almost too low. So that was kind of what happened to the people on The Biggest Loser. That was one of the groups that they tested. But honestly, I'm sure the bulk of the groups coming through have gone through this. And I know it's exciting to lose weight. It's exciting to be on a TV show. But when the end result, which is the most important, the end result is this, it's not worth it you almost are in a worse off place than they were before they started the competition. Their blood markers are higher, their metabolism is lower and slower, and yet they're almost the same weight. And so you gotta make sure when you do these programs that you actually get something out of it. Don't waste your time doing them just because it looks good or you think it's cute. Do it for the right reasons. Keep, stay on your healthy eating, stay exercising. And you know, they didn't really go into detail about their eating habits, but I can guarantee a lot of the eating habits have, you know, although some of the, what they learned are still there. I mean, eating habits probably contributed to their weight gain. It's not just purely their metabolism. Um, The other thing that I wanted to touch on is They looked at surgical patients in this particular article, which I thought was interesting. They didn't do like a big comparison, but all they pretty much looked at was the metabolism in surgical patients. 
or the metabolic adaptation that occurs in surgical patients. And essentially they found in bypasses that the metabolic adaptation or the metabolism decreases, right? With weight loss, which I've already stated that happens. It decreased at six months, but then it stayed the same. So let me give you an example. If their baseline was 2,600 and they had surgery, it dropped to 2,300, but then it stays the same. It didn't drop anymore. The difference between the people that did Biggest Loser and in surgical patients, your body, and I, and I tell my patients this, it truly creates a new set point. When you lose weight too fast, you're blowing your set point and your body is just trying to fight you to get back to it. When you do things a little bit slower, you have a better chance of kind of maintaining that set point. When you have surgery, because of what we do with the organs, the set point, the new set point is created for you. And that's why for a lot of people it works the, so well. And so far it's the best option for obesity. And so essentially it decreased significantly within that six month period, which for surgical weight loss patients, that's when they lose the most amount of weight. But then at one year, at two year, it remained at 2,300 versus the biggest loser competition they went from 26 to 19 or to under 2000 to 19 to 18. I mean, it just keeps dropping, which is heartbreaking because I know for them it's frustrating. And for anybody on this weight loss journey, it's frustrating. The best thing we can do in general is just to continue to educate ourselves. Educate yourselves by listening to these podcasts. Educate yourself about your body, your doctor, what works well for you. Um, and so on. So once again, thank you for going on this journey with me. I'm your host, Dr. Hamilton. Um, continue to listen to the podcast, like them, subscribe. And again, if there's something that you would like to listen to, um, send me a message on Facebook, Your Life Transformed. Um, go to our website, yourlifetransformed.health. And I will see you again on another po- podcast. Until next time.